Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning. My name's Stephen. If we haven't met, it is great to be with you all this morning. So as we were reading that passage together, one of the main themes that comes out immediately to all of us is this theme of persistence, right? Ask, seek, knock, be persistent. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had to be persistent? There's a ton of stories that we love of persistence. So a couple that I came across this week. So Howard Schultz, he wanted to start a coffee shop. And so over the course of one year, he went to over 242 banks asking for a loan to start this coffee shop. He had this big dream. And over the course of a year, every single bank he went to rejected his loan request. 242 banks reject the request. So finally, he was able to find two individual investors that said, hey, we will invest in you. We'll pay for the startup cost of this coffee shop. He got the funds he needed and started a coffee shop known as Starbucks. The rest is history, right? Or Thomas Edison, 1,000 failed attempts at a light bulb before he was finally able to figure out how to make a light bulb. Somebody asked him once, hey, what did you learn in that process of making those light bulbs that failed? He said, well, I learned 1,000 ways to not make a light bulb. Great. Or my uh, journey in sports. So freshman year, go out for soccer, played soccer four years, was on JV, and really, JV bench, freshman, sophomore, junior year, finally senior year, got onto the varsity squad. It was awesome, got a ton of playing time. It had everything to do with my persistence, nothing to do with the fact that nine of our 11 starters quit the first week. <laughs> no, I, had every, I was terrible at soccer. I, it was awesome though for me, terrible for everyone else, awesome for me, I got more playing time that year than I did all three years combined. It was great, I was just out there for a good time, finally got some playing time. It was a bad week though. Nine out of our 11 starters quit. Nuts. But I got to start. It was great. Persistence. We admire that quality a lot, right? And often we think of it kind of stories of sports, stories of business. But what we're going to see this morning is that persistence is also a quality that needs to be a mark of our Christian life. That we actually need to be persistent people in the way that we relate to God. And specifically the way that we relate to God in making requests of him. And so this morning, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about being persistent people and making requests. And in order to know how to be persistent, he's going to clarify three things for us. First, he's going to clarify what we are asking. Second, how we are to ask it. And third, who we are asking it from. And if we can see these three things, we will be persistent people in the way we relate to God. So Matthew 7, verse 7 is where we are starting. It was just read for us. It says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So the first question that we are getting clarity about if we're going to be persistent people making requests is what are we asking? What are we asking in the first place? So we're coming to the end of the Sermon of the Mount. This is verse 7. It's going to end in verse 29. And if you've been tracking along, you know that we've already talked about prayer. So in some sense, as you come to this section of chapter 7, it kind of feels like this abrupt, kind of of out-of-nowhere topic to bring this idea of prayer back up. It's a little confusing. Why is Jesus doing this? Is this just he wanted to slip in one more thing on prayer before he ended his sermon? Is it just kind of of out-of-nowhere to squeeze it in? What's going on here? 
Well, when we look at the context of the passage, we begin to see why Jesus brings this topic up. And what we're going to see is that it's not just simply about prayer, but Jesus is talking about a larger dynamic, a more broad dynamic that should be happening in our lives. Now, this is easy to miss because we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount slowly, but I want you to imagine what it would have been like to hear this sermon in just one continuous flow. Right, we've been just working on it passage by passage, but the original hearers would have heard this entire sermon just in one sitting. So imagine what that would have felt like. I'm going to actually give you kind of some summaries of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read some statements from the sermon, and what I want you to think through is what would this have felt like? What would you have been feeling as you heard this in one sitting? So here's some of the things Jesus has said Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. You are the salt of the earth. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subjected to judgment. Everyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, commits adultery. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. When you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. When you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but where moth and rust destroy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. What are you feeling right now? Right? Imagine hearing that as the first crowd sitting there, the disciples sitting there. What are you feeling as Jesus is unpacking this sermon? Well, if you're like me, you're probably feeling a couple things. On the one hand, when I hear this, when I kind of read it in its whole sermon, the whole context, I feel on the one hand like, man, this is such a beautiful sermon, it's such a beautiful description of life, how it's supposed to be. It's a beautiful description of how God designed us to flourish, how we are to live. This, this feels like the appropriate response to the grace that we've received in Christ. Right? That's one thing I feel. Man, I want this for my life. Simultaneously, though, I feel a profound inadequacy to live up to this. Right? It's, this is amazing and glorious. I can't do it. I feel totally inadequate to be these things. Be perfect as your father, heavenly father is perfect. Oh my word, what? Yes, I want that, but I can't live that way, right? Are you feeling these two things as you hear all of those statements? 
These two dynamics. He's describing holiness and humility, living in a way that glorifies God. This life that brings ultimate joy. And yet I'm so inadequate to live up to it. You'll be judged by the same standard by which you will judge others. Oh my word. When I think of the judgmental thoughts I've had towards others, oh, the same measure I will be used against me. Each of these statements are great, yet I feel a profound need. It feels overwhelming to try to live up to this sermon. That's the context. The whole sermon has been building to this point, and in verse 7, as we're feeling these two things, the glory of the sermon and the standard, and my inadequacy to live up to it, here's what Jesus says in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Jesus isn't just describing more advice on prayer. No, he's more broadly describing earnestly seeking, earnestly asking, earnestly knocking for the grace to live like this. He's describing the posture of a beggar. Right? A beggar asks, seeks, and knocks. A beggar is constantly aware of his need. We're to be beggars. If we take this sermon seriously and genuinely seek to live according to it, the only hope that we have is to beg for the grace and wisdom and counsel from God to live according to this sermon. We're to ask, seek, and knock for grace and wisdom and counsel. So Jesus is looking at this crowd. He's looking at his disciples, and he knows that he just described something that is humanly impossible. It's beautiful, but impossible. And so what does Jesus say? Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. So what are we asking? What is the clarity of the request that we're supposed to be making? We're supposed to be asking for the grace to live lives marked by holiness. Asking for the wisdom to be people marked by kingdom character. To be the sort of people he described. The sort of people who are constantly begging for the grace required to live this kind of way. I want kingdom character, but I can't on my own. I need you, God. So that's what we're asking for. That's the request that we're to make. Now, how are we to ask for it? Well, you can probably guess one of the two words, persistence, and the second is confidence. Look back at verse 7. It says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Verse 8, For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Two qualities, persistence and confidence. When we're making these requests to God, as we're asking for grace to live the way he's called us to, we need to first be persistent. Verse 7 has this progression, right? Ask, seek, knock. He's like stacking these verbs on top of one another to show us the kind of persistence that we are to live with. Our begging to God is to be active. There's asking, I become aware of my need. I'm bringing my request to him. Seeking, I begin to look around, knocking, I'm pounding on the door for help. That's the kind of persistence that should describe 
the way that we relate to God, asking for grace to live this way. When we're praying to look more like Jesus, there should be an urgency to our prayer. This isn't a one-time ask, seek, knock. No, there's this continuous asking, seeking, and knocking. So that's the first quality, persistence. Now let me ask you this before we move to the second quality. When was the last time that you earnestly prayed for your holiness? When was the last time that you earnestly prayed with persistence to be marked by the character qualities that we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount? Why don't we pray with this level of persistence? Well, let me ask you this. What does serving size suggestions, flossing, and exercising 30 minutes a week have in common? They're good, but optional. All three of those things are good, but optional. Do you know what the accurate serving size suggestion is for Oreos? Three. I have never only ate three Oreos. For Christmas, we would get a pack of Oreo individual in our stocking, and I would eat one row at a time in the same day. Serving size suggestions, good, but optional. Flossing, I went to the dentist this week, got my teeth cleaned. It was a great experience. It had been a while, a while since I'd been there. I am convinced that in large part, I put it off so long because I hate being asked, how often do you floss? I told Natalie when I got back home, I said, I uh, kind of avoided that question. She said, how? I said, well, I implied that I flossed, but didn't lie. She's like, that, that can't be. She's like, how'd you do that? I was like, I mentioned the word flossing, and it gave the dentist an impression that I floss. She's like, you need to go back there right now. She... <laughs> flossing, good, but optional. I even wanted to be a dentist when I was in college. I don't know. It's good, but optional. That's probably what I would have told my patients. Exercising 30 minutes a week definitely optional. I don't even know if that's good. It's just definitely optional. I, I, not only do I not exercise, I actively try not to exercise. Man, my gym clothes are still dirty. Ah, can't go sweat. Don't have the right clothes. Good, but optional. There's these things that are good, but optional in our life. Let me ask you this. Do you have a good, but optional view of holiness? Do you see obedience as good but optional? It's possible that the reason why you don't pray with persistence and urgency for your integrity is because you see your personal holiness as good but optional. You have a serving size view of obedience. It's a suggestion but it's largely unrealistic and you don't really have to do it. It's good, but optional. Have you seen the Sermon on the Mount this semester as good, but optional commands? As we've worked through, have you thought, yeah, man, that, yeah, that's a good thing for me to consider, or yeah, maybe that will be my 2023 habit that I put in my life. But the fact of the matter is that your life is still largely unchanged by this sermon. You haven't taken seriously the commands that Jesus has laid out for us. To you, this, ser this sermon has seemed like serving suggestions. Good, but optional. 
What has been your mindset as you've gone through this sermon series? Can you point to anything that has tangibly changed in your life as you've walked through this sermon in Matthew 5 through 7? Or have you come here week after week hearing the commands of Jesus and think to yourself, yeah, that would be nice, but I don't really have to do it. Do you know what would happen if we all took Jesus' sermon seriously? We would all immediately hit the ground on our knees praying for God's grace to actually live it. Because this sermon is humanly impossible and it's not optional. It's impossible, but it's not optional. So what would happen if we took Jesus seriously? We would be persistent in prayer Your holiness is not optional. Your kingdom character is not optional. Don't judge others. That isn't up for debate. Don't lust in your heart. Doesn't mean when it's just convenient to you. Not practicing your righteousness in front of others. Isn't take it or leave it. Walking in obedience to God is not good but optional. Holiness is not good, but optional. Now, let me be crystal clear. Your salvation is by grace and grace alone. And our obedience to God does nothing to secure our salvation. You cannot make God love you more or make, you, make him love you less through what you do. And once you are saved, you can do nothing to lose that salvation. And yet, all of that doesn't make obedience to God an optional thing. My kids will always be my kids. I will always love them. There's nothing they could ever do to make me not love them. On Friday, we had a hard day with our daughter. She fell asleep, and you know what I did? I went into her room, brushed her face because my heart was full of love for her. Her obedience didn't impact my love for her. And yet, her obedience to me is not optional. I set rules in her life to bring about her flourishing, and her obedience to me honors me as her father. You were created to glorify God, and he has set a design for your life through his commands, and your unwillingness to follow them is a reflection of your lack of understanding of how great he is and the grace that he's given to us. And you have a disconnect between the path of true happiness and joy in your life. True happiness and joy in your life is found by conforming to the design that God has for you. Now, because of our sin and flesh, we will always imperfectly follow God. Our life will always be marked by disobedience, moments of failure, moments of weakness. But that doesn't mean we have an excuse to not earnestly pray to walk in obedience, to be persistently praying that God would give us grace and wisdom and counsel to be people marked by holiness. And until we shift from seeing this sermon as good but optional, we won't be marked by persistence. As long as you see this sermon and the commands in it like flossing, or serving suggestions, or working out recommendations, you will never have the earnest, persistent prayer that Jesus is describing. What's the second quality? The second quality to how we are to pray is confidence. 
This sermon is demanding and it's impossible on your own. We have no ability to fulfill it. Jesus is calling us to posture ourselves humbly as a beggar, but with confidence that God will provide as we persistently ask, seek, and knock. When we come to God saying, I want to live this way, but I can't on my own, look at these promises that he says. Look back at verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And if that isn't clear enough, he reiterates these promises in verse 8. The one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the promise to us. Jesus is looking at this crowd and his disciples. People who are like you and me. Overwhelmed, tired, worn out. Maybe we've tried to follow God, but seem to have a hard time. We just can't figure it out. And he's saying, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. If you seek strength to follow God, you will find it. If you knock on the door of God's grace, it will be open to you. Listen, Jesus isn't calling you to something that he is not also providing the resources to you to fulfill. He's calling us to kingdom living, and he's saying he will give us what we need to live as his people. Yes, it's impossible with you. Yes, you won't live up to this perfectly, but God's grace and power, you can actually obey him. You don't have to be trapped in the same sin and the same weakness forever. There is no sin in your life presently right now that God does not have the power to remove through his grace. 2 Peter, tell, 2 Peter 1, 3 tells us that his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. You know what that means? It means if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit himself dwells in you, and you presently lack nothing to walk in obedience to God. There's nothing that you are lacking. There's no sermon you haven't heard, no church service you haven't attended, no small group Bible study you haven't worked through. There's no verse you haven't memorized, nothing. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Why? Because of his divine power. In light of that, we need to persistently seek God for help and be confident that he will provide. Urgently pray for your own holiness. Have the posture of a beggar, constantly aware of your need for God to work in your life, and have the confidence that he will. If you ask for wisdom, he will provide wisdom. If you ask for discernment, he will provide discernment. If you seek grace, you will find grace in him. If you knock for deliverance, the door of deliverance will be opened. There is nothing that you lack in him. Let me ask you, if you are stuck in a sin, have you persistently prayed for deliverance from it? Do you pray with confidence that God will answer your prayer? Now, I'm not saying that just simply praying about sin is going to be the only thing required to be free from it. But I am saying if you have any chance of walking a life marked by holiness, you have to spend significant time in prayer for your own personal holiness. Pray with confidence. Now, what gives us this confidence and this persistence? Well, it's who we are praying to. It's who we are asking. Look at verse 9 through 11. Who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Why should we be confident? Why should we be persistent? We'll consider who we're praying to. We're asking our good father. Now, Jesus uses this common form of argument where he says, if this is true of the lesser, how much more of the greater? So who's the lesser? Well, it's earthly fathers. If your son asked for bread, who would give him a stone? Right? I'm, I'm not giving my child a stone. That would be absolutely unthinkable. My son has a legitimate need. He has, a, has hunger, and I need to fulfill that need. I'm not going to give him something that won't satisfy. I'm not going to give him something that's going to harm him if he bites down on it. No father would do that. Not just a stone to bread, but also a fish and snake. Right? He goes on. If he asked for a fish, who would give him a snake? Again, he's asking for food to meet his real need. I'm not going to give him something that wouldn't satisfy him and would only harm him. No father would do that. So what's the argument Jesus is making? Well, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you who are evil, here's the reality, compared to the goodness of God, every one of us is evil. We might think that we're good when we compare ourselves to one another, but when we compare ourselves to the goodness of the infinite, perfect God, we immediately agree, yep, we're evil. And he's saying, if you are evil, and yet you still give good gifts to your children, how much more will your good God? God is infinitely good, and if evil people still give good gifts, how much more would God? All you have to do is ask. Now notice something. When the child asks for bread or a fish, what does the father refuse to do? The father refuses to give his child something that would not satisfy the need of their child and would harm them. The father refuses to give that which might not satisfy and might bring harm. A stone and a snake, they don't satisfy, they only harm. Here's the reality. God won't give you something you ask for that won't ultimately satisfy you and will only bring you harm. Now, I say that because when we pray, there's a reality that our perspective on what we need and what is our good might not align with the eternal, infinite perspective of God. We pray with persistence, we pray with confidence, but we also need to pray in a posture of trust. There are times when we think we know what will satisfy, but it really wouldn't. There's times when we think we know what is for our good, but it would actually bring harm. Prayer is not a cosmic vending machine where whatever we want, we can get any time. Prayer is a way to earnestly seek God, to genuinely ask with confidence that God will provide and yet to humbly express our trust in him, that he knows what will ultimately satisfy us and what is for our ultimate good. If an evil father refuses to give that which won't satisfy and that which will only bring harm, how much more so would God? Be persistent in prayer for your holiness. Be confident God will give you all you need to walk in a way that honors him. Trust him as you pray. Why? Because if evil people can give, give good gifts, then how much more can our eternally good God? 
Now, what happens as we experience God's goodness? Well, look at verse 12. It says this, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. What happens as we experience the goodness of God? Well, as his children, we begin to emulate him. And we begin to show goodness to others. Do to others what you would want them to do for you. And this statement he's saying is the summary of the law and the prophets. What is the law and the prophets? Well, that is just shorthand for the entire Old Testament. What Jesus is saying is the guiding principle between, underneath every horizontal command in the Old Testament. Horizontal meaning how we relate to one another as humans. Underneath every one of those commands is this guiding principle. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That doesn't mean there's not a time and place to nuance them or explain all the different ways that that fleshes itself out in human life. But he's saying that is the guiding principle behind all the horizontal commands. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Why? Well, we saw therefore started verse 12. What is the therefore? Therefore, we just saw the goodness of God shown to us. And in light of that, we who are his children show goodness to others. Here's the thing. One scholar pointed out that if, if Jesus had put this command in the negative, there would have been a limit to it, right? Had he said, don't do to others that which you wouldn't want them to do to you, that limits the command. But he puts it in the positive, right? There is a limitless amount of goodness we are to show to others. Do to others what you would want them to do for you. There is no limit to the goodness we're to show to others. The Sermon on the Mount is beautiful. This is how life was meant to be lived. Living this way brings glory to God and joy to you. Holiness isn't optional. Obedience isn't optional. But what's the reality? I can't. It's impossible to live this way on my own. I want to, I have to, but I can't. As we become more aware of the gap between the standard of holiness God is calling us to and our inadequacy to live up to that, as we become more aware of that gap, you know what happens? We will be people more and more marked by earnest prayer for our personal holiness. The more we see that gap, what we are called to do as Christians and our inability to do it, the more we will get on our hands and knees and ask and seek and knock for the grace, the discernment, and the wisdom to live the way God has called us to. Pray for your holiness. Pray that your life would be marked by this. There's so many times when I myself and people I talk to find that there's some sin that they've been trapped in. You know what I almost find is always true of both myself and others, I have yet to spend significant time in prayer over that sin. I have yet to spend significant time in prayer for my holiness. Earnestly seek God with confidence and trust. One of the most common parables to attach to this is in Luke 18. So in Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable of a persistent widow. 
And a lot of people point to this parable when, when they walk through this passage, because it's this great parable of a widow who goes to this wicked judge and she's persistent, persistently asking this judge to bring about justice in her life. And kind of the way the parable ends is that this wicked judge, because she was persistent, finally, finally hears her case. And even though he was wicked, he heard her case. And kind of the point of the whole thing is, again, how much more will God, who's good, hear our case when we're persistent? Well, you know what parable follows immediately after the parable of the persistent widow? In the same context, in the same setting, Jesus, immediately after telling that parable, tells the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Two men who went to the temple to pray. One of them trusted in his righteousness, what he did for God, and looked down on others. And in his prayer, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people and like this tax collector. You know what the posture was of the tax collector, though? Though he was wicked, though he was despised by everyone, his posture was head low, couldn't even lift his head, but beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asked, who went home justified that day? It was the tax collector. Here's the reality. There's a direct link between our persistence in prayer and our posture of humility and dependence on God for mercy and grace. If we are going to be people who live out the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to be people who cry out to God for mercy and grace to be the sort of people who are marked by the holiness that he calls us to. To pray with persistence and earnestness. So let's pray for that. God, we do pray that we would not just be a church that doesn't take seriously the commands that are in Scripture for us. God, that we want to be people who give ourselves a pass on following you, but would be people who are overwhelmed by the grace that you have shown us in Christ and in response are serious about letting our lives reflect who you've called us to be. Living lives that bring you glory and that honor you. God, that we would see that your design for our life is the design that will bring about our greatest joy and flourishing. God, help us to be people who recognize how impossible these commands are for us on our own. And as we begin to recognize that, that that would create in us an earnest prayer life, one where we are crying out for your grace and wisdom to be the sort of people who are marked by discernment to live in this world, for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us walk in a way that brings you glory, to actually embrace these commands. God, I pray that this won't just be a one-time ask, seek, and knock, but that we would be in a constant posture as beggars, people in a, in a constant awareness of our need spiritually before you. God, that there would be a hunger and thirst for righteousness in this room, that we'd be people who long for you, to long to know you and let our lives reflect you. And God, that all the while we'd recognize how inadequate on our own we are to be that. And that we would cry out for mercy and grace. 
that we wouldn't think like the Pharisee that we have this, that we've got it all together. But God, that like the tax collector, we'd recognize our dependence on you. God, give us grace. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.